hearts now. Father, thank you for the privilege to open the book of God to the people of God. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word as from you so that we might be grown up in the truth. We might be transformed by your truth and that we might live differently, not only for our sakes, but for your glory and for the good of our society. In Jesus' name, amen. So if it is true that God made us, and I believe the Bible clearly teaches that he did, if God made us, then he certainly has a plan for our lives. And if he made us, he certainly knows how we are made to function. God has made us with a purpose and intentionality for every area of our lives, including the intimate moments in our bedrooms. And God doesn't make mistakes. So a few weeks ago, I began this new series titled, God in My Bedroom. In my first message on this delicate subject, I was intentional in showing you that sex is a good idea because it's a God idea. Therefore, it is a wonderful blessing to be enjoyed by all. But like every good and perfect gift of God, he provides some specific rules and guidelines to ensure the greatest pleasure when using his greatest gifts. I'm sure we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had a childhood story of opening up a Christmas present or a birthday gift and being so surprised and excited and eager to use our new gift. So much so that we, won't, we didn't think about reading the instructions, right? We just want to rip open the gift and start using it. Because like every kid, we think to ourselves, ain't nobody got time for the instructions, right? And so within a few minutes, our excitement and joy turned to sadness when our brand new toy no longer worked as the manufacturer intended it to work. You see, when the manufacturer made your new toy, they envisioned millions of children just like you and me would enjoy their new toys for years to come. But as the instructions that came with the toy always say, your new toy is to be used only as instructed. In fact, some instructions for toys go on to give a serious warning saying, if not used only as instructed, this toy may cause injury or death. Well, so it is with our sexuality and the gift of sex. They are beautiful, wonderful gifts that are given to us by God to be shared only between a husband and a wife who are married to each other. But if not used only as directed, sexual activity may indeed cause severe injury and even death. Did you know that one of God's purposes for marriage and family is to reflect his intimate relationship with us as his church? In the New Testament, Jesus is known as the bridegroom, and the church is known as his bride. In the Old Testament, Israel is known as God's bride, and God is her husband. No, nowhere is that more illustrated 
more clearly than in the life of the Old Testament prophet Hosea, one of God's prophets found in the biblical book that bears his name. And so one of the ultimate purposes of marriage is to illustrate the great eternal reality of the unending, unconditional, and sacrificial love of God to his bride, the church, and to his people, Israel. And the sexual ecstasy enjoyed in marriage is a small, tiny glimpse of the greater reality of having an intimate knowledge and experience of God's love. And that's why God hates divorce. And that's why God hates sexual immorality, because they both destroy the beautiful picture of our covenantal relationship with God. And because they both destroy and deeply wound those who experience divorce and commit immorality. And so our entire society suffers and the consequences of those sins in one way or another. A lot of times we think, well, it's my private bedroom. I can do whatever I want there. I'm not hurting anybody. That would be a wrong assessment if you just read the newspaper and, and see the sexual brokenness that is in the news every single day. Now, I realize that many of us in this room have been divorced or have committed acts of sexual immorality. And so you don't need to, some preacher trying to make you feel more guilty or more shameful than you already are. And I certainly hope that is not what you are hearing or feeling from me because that is not at all my intention. I and members of my family are not without our own guilt and shame in this area. What you really need to know is that if you have messed up in this area of your life, you can be forgiven. You can be healed and set free from all of your guilt and all of your shame that comes when you break God's moral laws. There's no guilt and shame that is not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ that we've been singing about here all morning. The blood of Christ poured out for us on the Roman cross outside the old walled city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. So now please come with me as we learn more of what God's word teaches us about sex. Listen to the Apostle Paul's counsel to the married couples, for example. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Verses 2 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 5. These are from the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. The scripture says this, But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." Now imagine, if the Apostle Paul thought there was so much immorality in the city of Corinth in his day, I wonder what he would say about Sin City, Chicago, in our day. 
Paul adds to the discussion of sex we've already seen in Genesis and in the Gospel of Matthew. And he's a big proponent of biblical marriage. Uh, That is to say, marriage between one man and one woman. Uh, And Paul is also in agreement with having lots of sex within the boundary of biblical marriage. But then he goes a step further, knowing the sinful nature of human beings, and he gives a warning to married couples. Paul says, don't weaponize sex in your marriage and use it as punishment, as some people were doing. In other words, Paul tells married couples that the only time they should withhold intimacy between their bodies from each other is when they have mutually agreed to do so during a time of fasting and prayer. Listen, married couples, Paul is teaching us that when we got married, our bodies no longer belong to us alone. They belong to our spouse. Therefore, sex is less about pleasing yourself and more about pleasing your beloved spouse. Don't fall into the temptation of withholding sex from your spouse in order to manipulate them to get what you want or to punish them for some wrong that they did. To do so, Paul warns, is to open the door of your marriage, leaving it unprotected from the temptation of adulterous relationships. And so we see that even within marriage, there are some basic rules about sex. And if we follow those rules, we will maximize our joy and contentment, as well as the joy and contentment of our spouse. And we will also grow a hedge of protection against adultery in our marriage. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, in the middle of the Ten Commandments, We find this, God says to his people, you shall not commit adultery. It's a direct command. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, God says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. There's judgment from God for those who break his moral laws. Adultery, by the way, in case you're wondering, is having an intimate relationship with someone else outside of your marriage. If you're not married to somebody and you're having an intimate relationship with them, the Bible says that's adultery. God commands us not to do that because it is not good for you It's not good for me. It hurts our marriage and family as well as our society, and it ruins the picture of the greater reality of his relationship with his church. Now let's move on to see the various other warnings that God gives us concerning sexual activity. Matthew chapter 5, that's the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, in verse 27 and 28, God says this. Now this is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard it said that it was, you've heard that it, is, it was said, do not commit adultery. So Jesus is quoting the Old Testament commandment from the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. But then Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
Our Lord Jesus goes beyond the physical act of adultery to the birthplace of all sin, the human heart. The desires of our hearts betray who we are, don't they? A recent study at the Ohio State University found that the average man thinks about sex 19 times per day. The ladies are laughing. For the average woman, it's about five to ten times a day. That's what this study from the Ohio State University found. Now again, there's nothing inherently wrong with thinking about sex. God made us sexual creatures. That's not the issue. The big question is, who is in your mind as your sex partner? It is, if it's not your spouse, if it's not someone to whom you're married, then it becomes an issue. And that's what our Lord Jesus is saying. To lust after a man or a woman is to have such a strong sexual desire for that person that you begin to undress them in your mind and have sexual fantasies with them. And that's where every act of adultery and fornication begins. It begins in the mind or the heart. Now, this could be someone that you know personally or some stranger that you see on the street in a billboard ad, in magazines or television. Jesus says to entertain such thoughts in your mind about somebody with whom you're not married is just like the sin of adultery. And so let me help you out by giving you a few tips to purify your minds. And in particularly, I want to make sure that the young people in the room, the young single adults in the room, Pay attention here. But this is good for all of us. Number one, examine the music that you listen to, the movies that you watch or television shows or YouTube videos, and the books that, and magazines that you read. Examine the music you listen to, the movies, TV shows, YouTube videos that you watch, and the books that you read. Take a close look at those items. If you find yourself lusting while watching, listening, or reading whatever you watch, listen to, or read, then you need to change what you watch, listen to, or read. It's just that simple. There's an old Asian proverb which goes like this. He who would not fall should not walk in slippery places. <laughs> it's common sense. It's, there's, not, there's not rocket science here. Eric, this is not like chemistry in a PhD level, right? If the media that you consume causes you to stumble into adulterous thoughts, then cut it out. Cut it out of your media diet, your entertainment diet. Number two, arm your heart and mind with God's word. Arm your heart and your mind with God's word. King David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And we all know David had an issue. He had issues. Somebody once told me, your issue is you. It's you. Your issue is you. And they're right. The word of God is a powerful tool or weapon which is like a shield for our minds and our hearts. Do you remember when our Lord Jesus was tempted by Satan to sin in the wilderness? What did he do? He quoted the word of God to defend himself from giving into temptation. And you and I can do the very same thing. 
But we must first hide God's word in our heart. That means take time to meditate and memorize God's word so that when you're tempted, you can quote it and the temptation will flee from you. I remember as a single adult in First Baptist Church, Fort Lauderdale, uh, this issue, this was at a time when very well-known preachers on TV were dropping like flies in sexual immorality and or financial scandal. And I mean, it was, it was amazing and shocking to me and to some of my single adult male friends. We were like, man, these guys are married to beautiful women. They're on TV. They've got this huge ministry. They're flying in jets all over the world. God is blessing their ministry. And now some of them are in prison for financial scandals. Other of them have had to leave their church and be disgraced publicly because of sexual scandal. What is going on? And fear gripped our hearts. And we thought to ourselves as young Christian single men, we thought, if it's happening to these guys, it could happen to us. And we made a covenant that we would meet every week and we would ask ourselves a list of short questions. One of the questions would be this. Have you looked lustfully at a woman this week? If so, tell us about it. And what did you do when that thought came into your mind? Have you looked at pornography this week? Have you been careful in your financial spending this week? Have you stayed within your budget? You know, we had some things that, that were guardrails. These were temptations that we all had to overstep. And so we would ask ourselves those questions. And you know what's interesting? Knowing that Thursday night, when, when, when we met, knowing that that night was coming, it's on the calendar every week, and we had to answer the question I'm in our little small group of guys, when we were tempted, it really made it much easier to say no to the temptation, knowing that we're going to have to give an account to somebody, look them in the eye, and answer that question truthfully. Another thing that we did, we decided to memorize Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. I still remember some parts of that passage today just because I hid it in my heart 25 years ago. Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we're, we're now buried with sin. We're dead to sin. We're buried to sin. And we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. Therefore, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you learn to quote passages of Scripture like that when you're being tempted, guess what? Your mind can only process one thought at a time. So if you begin to be tempted in your mind with a thought that you know is not pleasing to God, you can replace that thought immediately with God's thoughts, which is his word, and that temptation has to be flushed out of your mind because we now have the inflow of God's word replacing that evil temptation. And so the moment sinful temptation enters your mind, you can replace it by quoting verses. Particularly, I would recommend Romans 6 and Romans 8. Today, 25 years later, I still meet. This time, that's regularity now is once a month with a group of pastors on the north side. And we confess our sins to one another and we hold each other accountable. We encourage one another. We build each other up so that we won't be on television on the front page of the newspaper 
in disgrace and shame. And so that you don't have to wake up one morning and, and have me stand on the pulpit here saying, like Jimmy Swagger did with tears in his eyes on national television, I have sinned. And bring shame and disgrace to the cause of Christ and the church of Christ and to your own family. Then we would pray for one another. When the temptations came and we quoted scripture, the third thing we did, we prayed for our brothers. Because we were only together once a week in that small accountability group time. And so the other six days of the week when we were apart and we were being tempted, we would quote scripture, we would pray for ourselves, and we would pray for our other brothers in the group. That God would strengthen them. And let me tell you, you're quoting scripture and praying for somebody else in their temptation, you will not fall into that temptation. Number four, we became vulnerable and accountable to each other. One of the primary reasons that self-help groups like AA and NA, and by the way, there is such a thing as SA, or SAA, Sexual Addiction Anonymous, one of the reasons that AA, NA, and SA work is that the members of those groups who stay sober are honest with themselves and with other members of the group, and they are accountable to each other. God has built something powerful and triumphant in community. And that's the reason we've started a growth group here for men on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. How many of you men received my email invitation to come to the meeting this morning at 9? If you didn't get it, that means you didn't read your email. But about 30 emails went out to you men. And we've been talking about it last month or so, advertising it. And we had four men in the group this morning. Now listen to me, men. Statistics tell us, people who study these things tell us, that 70% of men in the church are addicted to pornography. We did not have 70% of the men in our church in our class this morning. So here's the deal. I'm calling you men out right now. I'm calling you out. I'm saying to you, men, this is a problem. Don't hide from it. And you can be set free. You can be help. It will ruin your life and ruin your marriage and family and ruin our church and rob us of the power and the holiness that comes from the power that comes from our holiness that God wants for us. And so, men, next Sunday morning, you need to be in my class at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. Wives, tell your husbands, you better find yourself in that class. Girlfriends, tell your boyfriends, you better find yourself in that class. Okay? Now let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17 and go through verse 24. Now, AV team, I'm sorry I didn't... I added a few verses here that I didn't tell you about in advance. We're going to start with... Verse 17 of Ephesians 4, and go through verse 24. The Apostle Paul is writing to this young church plant in the city of Ephesus, an ancient Greek city located in modern-day Turkey. 
And Paul was writing the church, as he always did, to address issues of sin, to explain Christ's command, and to encourage them to be faithful to our Savior. In Ephesians 4, we read this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In other words, Gentile sinners, those who are unsaved, unconverted by Christ. No longer live as they do in the futility, that is the emptiness, the fruitlessness, and the uselessness of their thinking. That's what the word futility means here. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. That is, God is light. So if you're doing deeds that are not godly, that are unrighteous, those deeds are characterized as darkened or darkness because God is light and God reveals all wickedness and sin. He reveals the darkness because he is light. So he says, these deeds are darkened, these people become darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God. That's unbelievers. Because of the ignorance that is to them due to the hardening of their hearts. Here's something you need to write down. Sinful habits always lead to hard hearts. Sinful habits always lead to hardened hearts. And so then verse 19 says, having lost all sensitivity, that is, you become calloused in your heart. When you have a hard heart, you lose sensitivity to the things of God. It's like when you... If you, those of you who lift weights and you, you're used to grabbing steel bars and pumping iron, you're, eventually you get calluses on your hands at the base of your fingers and you lose sensitivity there because a callus has grown over. In the same way, God says that we can become calloused in our hearts when we continue in sinful patterns of behavior. And having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to what? Sensuality. That is, we give ourselves license or permission to do whatever that we want to do, whatever our heart desires to do sexually. The famous filmmaker and producer and actor Woody Allen once famously said when he was confronted with the fact that he had this illicit relationship with this underage teenager in his apartment in New York City, for years, he said, the heart wants what the heart wants. And, and he gave in to that temptation and, uh, and, and really abused this teenager, of course, with, with her consent and with his charming ways and with all the trappings of his fame and power and wealth. He defrauded her and robbed her of her purity. But the heart wants what it wants when it becomes calloused by continually transgressing the moral laws of God. And so the Bible says that unbelievers become given over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. There's a the word again, lust. Do you see the progressive nature of sin here? It began in verse 17 with a futile or useless thinking. 
Then in verse 18, it becomes darkened understanding. And then being separated from the righteous life of God. And then the hardening of the heart. And then the giving yourself over to every kind of sexual perversion and continual lust for more. It's a problem with sin. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. And it will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always make you pay more than you want to pay. That is the nature of sin. Takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, makes you pay more than you want to pay. Our old self, here's what Paul then says. He says, you, in other words, this continual lust for more is another way of saying you become a slave to sexual immorality. But then Paul reminds them by saying, oh, by the way, Paul is writing to the church. Paul is writing this, these warnings and admonitions to the church. And he says, you, however... First he's talking, he says, don't live like the Gentiles. This is what, this was unconverted people do. This was unconverted Gentiles do. They sin in this way, and that's their life. But you, on the other hand, you didn't come to Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. See, our old self is our old sinful way of life. So it's like stinky, dirty socks or underwear. How many of you have ever traveled and you got your you know, suitcase packed with clean clothes when you begin your journey, and then day after day as your clothes gets used and you, know, you sweat in your socks, you sweat in your body, your clothes get sweaty and dirty, and then... If you, didn't forget, if you forgot to bring a little laundry bag to put the dirty clothes in and you just throw them in with the rest of the clean clothes that you haven't used yet in your suitcase, what happens by the time you get to the next place in your destination? You open up that suitcase and what? Woo, it's right. Woo. Paul is saying here, throw off the old clothes. Put off that old clothes. What do we do with stinky clothes? That's on our body. Well, we take it off first, and then you wash it, right? But then Paul doesn't leave us spiritually naked, saying, take off the old clothes. He tells us something positive, and once again, he goes back to the mind. He says, we are to be made new in the attitude, which is the spirit of your mind. That's the literal word in the Greek is the spirit. The word for attitude here in the Greek is the word spirit. To be made new, we have to be made new, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2. You remember it says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, says that we are to renew our mind, right? The renewing of our mind is so critical to our growth and understanding and our liberation from sin and sinful desires. And so we are to be made new with a new attitude of our minds. And then verse 24, and then we're to put on The new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
A little further on in the next chapter, writing to the same church, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. He says, but among you, Christians, among us, UBC, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. See, the reason Paul says that sexual immorality is improper for us is because it doesn't fit our new character, our new nature in Christ Jesus. One of the primary characteristics of the Christian is holiness. Did you know that? See, this holy Christ of God who came and laid his life down on the cross for us, was tortured for us. The reason he did it was so that we might be set free from a life of sin. And in being free from sin, then we become holy as he is holy. But again, don't anybody mistake this. We've already dealt with this in the first message, and we've the first half of this message I already told. Sex is not sinful in and of itself. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But we ruin it when we don't follow God's prescriptions for it. In the same way, if your doctor gives you a prescription, you better use it according to how the doctor prescribed it. Otherwise, you can harm yourself. And who wants to do that? But somehow, Satan has deceived us into thinking we can do whatever we want with our bodies because it's our bodies. And it's our bedroom, and it's our private little thing that we're doing over here. It's none of your business. Stay out of my bedroom, we all say. And God says, I'm in your bedroom. And oh, by the way, it's my bedroom. And you are mine. I purchased you. I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. How dare you then take the body that I purchased and continue in sin, ignorant of the fact or maybe with knowledge of the fact that you were purchased at such a high price and you now belong to me and I have cleansed and purified you. How, how do you go back and go play in the mud? And so... The reason Paul says that sexual immorality is improper for us is because it doesn't fit our new character or our new nature. And one of the primary characteristics of Christianity and Christians is holiness. And that is why it is a big deal and makes national and worldwide news when there is sexual scandal like we've seen in the Catholic Church and in the Protestant Church and in our own denomination. Even non-believers understand that we are supposed to be different. We are supposed to be holy because they've read portions of our holy book that has prescribed holiness for us. And these sins of sexual immorality ought not be said about us because they ought not to be done among us. And so in writing to another church in another city by the name of Colossae, Paul writes this, Colossians chapter 3. And guys, I've added a couple of verses here from 5 to 8. Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. So God says, I understand it was part of your old life. I get it. You didn't know me. You didn't have the power of my Holy Spirit. You didn't know about the sacrifice of Christ for your sins. I get it. That was your old life. But if you claim to know Jesus, if you claim to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this now is how you should live. Put away, put to death all those things of the past that are destructive to your body and to your family and to society and are offense to God. Put them away. Take them off like old stinky clothes. Rid yourself of them. Put them to death. These are strong metaphors that are used to try to communicate how important this is to God and to us and for us. The Apostle Peter, he wrote to another church in another city, and here's what he wrote. So we have Paul in Ephesians writing the same thing. He covers the same issues to the church in Colossae. Now we see what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Listen to this. Peter says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. In other words, don't worry. Even though your, your non-Christian friends that you used to hang out with, you used to go clubbing with, you used to hook up with in the hookup culture, you used to have friends with benefits with, even though those friends that you used to do, all those things you used to do, even though they may scoff at you and make fun of you because now you're a goody two-shoe and you don't do that stuff anymore and you go to church now on Sunday morning and they're still at the bars at 3 o'clock in the morning. Even though they may make fun of you, that's in your past. He says, they might think it's strange that you do, don't do these things with them anymore. But he says this, watch this, verse 5, they will have to give an account to God. To him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, in closing, here's what this tells me. You and I are not alone. This is a universal problem. This is not, and this is, this is not just your problem as an individual. This is not just our problem collectively as a church. This problem exists in every denomination, in every religious sect, among pagans and Christians and religious people alike. It's a universal problem. Not only that, it's not a new problem. Sexual sin and brokenness have been with us since Adam and Eve left the garden of paradise. But we have a survive, we have a savior. We have a savior who can help us avoid sexual sin and forgive us and heal us when we fall into it. And to be sure, there will be scars that remain. Always remember this. Yes, you can be forgiven. There's no sin so great that cannot be forgiven and covered under the blood of Christ. We can all be forgiven. We can all be cleansed from shame. We can all find healing. But please also know that many times scars remain. Just like when you get a cut or a broken leg. It can heal and the pain will subside. But you'll have a scar to show for it. 
The same is true with sin. Sin can be forgiven. Sin can be healed. We can be restored in the joy of our salvation. But the problem with sin is that it often leaves an ugly scar. And so God, is, God wants to save us from these scars and from the pain and the brokenness that comes when we break his moral code for life. And so I pray that even today, some of us might find healing, some of us might find forgiveness, some of us might find freedom from the chains of sin that bind us and have troubled us and have haunted us in this area of sexual impurity. So with that, let's stand and pray. Thank you for hanging in there with us. We've gone way over time today. But in our closing moments, I'm going to ask that you would just hang in there with us just a, a little bit longer. It's going to give you an opportunity to just respond to the Word of God to your hearts today. What is the greatest need that you brought into this room today? Do you feel like you need the grace of God to cleanse you from your sexual impurities? You feel like you need the forgiveness of God to release you from the shame? Do you feel like you need the hope of God to be rid of this thing that has haunted you for so long? You've tried so many times in so many ways, and yet you keep falling and falling and falling and now you're to the point where you're hiding and maybe nobody else knows the struggle in your own heart and mind but I want you to know that today there is hope for you I'm going to ask the men who showed up in my class this morning to come to the altar if you came to that class this morning, would you just step out so that other men know that it's okay to have a struggle, it's okay to have a challenge, and that we can encourage one another, we can help each other. So now if you're a man and you're struggling in any of the areas we've talked about today, I want you to just come to the altar. I want you to step out and say, you know what? Today might be the day for me to be finally free or to, to get some help from other men, to have some encouragement. Would you come? It's going to take some courage to take the first step, but God loves you. We love you. And we want you to find help and hope and healing. Anybody else? Come. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be ashamed. 
We're here for one another. The vision statement of our church says that we are a real church of the real God to the real world. We're talking real talk right now. This is as real as it gets right here. Anybody else? You mean to tell me that no other man standing in this room is facing and, and dealing with this temptation? It's just us? Just us? Nobody else? Okay. Well, you guys are the saints. You guys are the saints. You are our heroes if you're not dealing with this temptation. You are our example. God bless you if, you don't, if you're not dealing with this. Yeah, encourage them. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Praise the Lord. Listen. The good news is that God knows we're human. We know we're human. And we also know that there is a God that loves us and wants to set us free. Amen? So let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for the liberation that we can find in your word, in your scriptures, and in each other. Thank you that there's healing that can be had in the midst of a community that loves each other, is gracious to one another, that is honest with each other. Healing can begin. There's an atmosphere that is ripe for healing and liberation, freedom, joy. Oh God, I pray that you would help us Help us. We need your help. We need your strength. We need each other. So thank you for these that have come and stepped out today. Help us to no longer hang our heads in shame, but to hold our heads up high. Because we look up to you. From whence come our help? From whence come our deliverance? Thank you, oh God. And I pray that every man here, every marriage here, every person dealing and struggling with this issue would find the help that is offered here. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand.